0: In Amos the 6th chapter in verse 1, we have here a, a verse that's very interesting. God is writing to the children of Israel and He says, "'Woe to you who are at ease in Zion and trust in Mount Samaria, notable persons in the chief nation to whom the house of Israel comes.'" God writes to them, whoa, and if you, if you read Amos, it's a very interesting thing. He wrote in about 760 B.C. during a time of great prosperity in Israel and also a time of great corruption. They often go together, you know, prosperity and corruption. If you think about today's times, maybe you feel the same way. They were getting richer at the expense of the poor. Injustice was everywhere in the land. Judges were being bribed. Justice was being bought and sold. Leaders were self-serving and indifferent to the needs of the people and there was a false sense of security based on the wealth and power of the nations. Sound familiar? We've all heard that story just today. As I was driving in, it was talking about this false sense of security that America has. And even though we we have had that scare in our lives in 2011, I guess it was, look where we're at now. And we see ourselves becoming complacent just in our own security. And America has become that way and God in in this writing says, Woe to you who are complacent in Zion. You know, if we look at what's going on, even the citizens then were self-indulgent and indifferent to the claims of God in their lives. It seems that when they began to prosper, God took a back seat. And it's not that they didn't like God. It's not that they didn't think about God. It's just God was not that important to them. And in our own lives, maybe it comes down to that oftentimes that we become complacent because we are comfortable with where we're at. We like what we're doing. We like who we're with. We, things are going pretty well. And we become indifferent. And I think there is a culture today that you and I fight every day in our indifference or the world's indifference to our God. To the point that now in our society, we don't want God. We see our society doesn't want a standard. They don't want the rules that maybe God, as they see, sets before them. And so therefore, they become indifferent to His laws and His desire. We were talking about this yesterday. It seems when I when I come up here, I've come to a, a study that Mike and I have been doing for well Mike started it about 22 years ago and we're still all of us getting together. i only even want to see what pictures look like 22 years ago. He takes pictures every year now and I see us aging and I see us getting older and we were talking about how that things have changed in this society to the point that it becomes very difficult to see God as as nothing but love and accepting and everything is wonderful. We see God's mercy But we do not understand that mercy doesn't come unless there is a wrath and a vengeance on those who do not obey His laws, who do not obey His will, who do not look at His Word with anything but indifference. And that's what was happening here when Amos writes to the children of Israel. They had become complacent. Not that they didn't care, but it just wasn't important to them. And so we find that they were warned of God. They were told to beware. And to be honest with you, this is probably Satan's greatest weapon in our spiritual warfare. You know, the world finds different ways to fight against God's claims on us and against our desire to be His children. And I want to look at a little bit of what he uses and how he uses that. And some of these things you'll say, well, that's not me or that's old and everybody says that. But think about what you're saying and think about how you're reacting to what we talk about this morning for just a little bit, okay? In First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Wow, an old cliche you say. We've heard that before pursuing and maintaining wealth and the comfort things of this life it tends to make us complacent we're not too worried about it the physical pleasures and possessions possessions that we have make us indifferent to the spiritual warfare that's going on every day in our lives I remember when this couple got a house and it was the, the craziest thing I'd ever seen. They, they bought this house, but they couldn't have it where the house was at. They had their own piece of land and so they lifted up this house. It was an old Victorian house. And they had that house moved down here to this house, to their property. Had it all ready, set it up. And they spent years working on that house because they had a lot of children. <laughs> And they needed a place for those children to be. And this house became an icon for them and their hard work. And then their children moved away and they had all this room in this house and they didn't know what to do with it until their children began coming back with grandchildren and other children. And the house was no longer indifferent to the things around them, but it began to to be filled with a different kind of feeling when you walked into that home. It grew. And you know, each and every one of us are kind of like that house. We have a we have a house that, that we build and, and a life that we put together, and everything's great until something changes. The children aren't there, or our careers are over, or we reach retirement, or we have, God forbid, something health-wise really happened that's that's affected us very badly. And then our house changes. Our lives begin to change. And we find out that the things that we pursued before aren't as good as what they used to be. They aren't what they should be. And our priorities begin to change. You know, Jesus in Luke chapter 18 and verse 24 talks about this, this change, this, this seeking of worldly pleasures and what it, what it can do to us. Beginning in verse 24, it says, "...when Jesus saw that, He became very sorrowful and said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of heaven." For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You know, I used to read that and I thought, you can't get a camel through the eye of a needle. I mean, the needle's only this big and the eye's only about that big around. I can't even hardly see it to put thread through it. But that's not the kind of needle it was talking about. It was talking about a gate. On the east side of the gates of Jerusalem was a small sheep's entrance. They called it the needle or the eye of the needle. And that's where the sheep came in and said when you try to get a camel through there, they had to get down on their knees and almost crawl through that gate. It was a very difficult process. Not that it couldn't be done, but it was difficult. And in our lives, when we focus ourselves on the things around us and the things that we have, we lose sight of the things that God wants to be important to us. That God says, that we need to be paying attention to. This world right now, society and people around us, are seeking the spiritual fulfillment of their lives. They want to feel a place of worship. They want to feel God in their lives. They want to experience God. All of these different aspects are a yearning, a searching, for something that they don't know how to feel themselves, and the world cannot feel it but they have neglected it. You know, when I was growing up, we spent summers at my granddaddy's, we called it the acreage. <laughs> I spent one full summer there. Mike would come down and visit us and spend some time with us while we were there, my cousins. and You know, every day we had to get up and tend our garden. Anybody here ever grown a garden? I do not grow one now. I don't like growing. I didn't like it then. You know what you had to do with the garden? You had to hoe it every day. (laughs) Grass wanted to grow in it. Weeds wanted to grow up through the tomatoes. Your mama wanted all of the green peas picked and all of the snap peas and all of the black-eyed peas and the okra and the tomatoes. And then you had to make sure the potatoes and the corn and keep the animals... It was work! To grow these gardens. Of course, they didn't just grow a little garden. They grew acres of corn that we had to go tend to and keep the coons out. And I look back now and it was a fond memory. But back then, (laughs) it was work. You had to tend it. You had to work it. You had to pay attention to it. You couldn't pick them too early. You couldn't pick the fruit too late. And the worst part was picking that okra. Because you had to wear long sleeves. And it was over 100 degrees when she wanted you to go out and pick the okra. You know our spiritual lives are like that. What we liked was eating the food and having the success of that garden. But what we didn't like was tending to it every day. And our spiritual lives are like that. We We all want to go to heaven. We all want to have a good time. But what we don't like is having to tend to that spiritual garden every day. And therefore we begin to take it for granted. So sometimes our wealth and our possessions and the lack of attention there there to to our spiritual lives, those that wealth, that, that paying attention to this life can get in the way. Sometimes it's familiarity. You know, when I go every year, I go to Oregon and do a two week work. Brother Craig Kill and I and we take some we take young men with us that are wanting to know about the work and and want some experience in preaching. And we help them and we work with them. And every year we go to the Redwood, the Giants of the Redwoods. You ever been there? The first time I remember going, I was 16. And and I remember seeing those trees and Michael and I and the antics that we played out in the for, It was amazing. The next time I remember going was with my wife and my two-year-old son. And it seemed like every Vista that we went to that year, as we went with Uncle Jerry, we would see something new and something awe-inspiring. And the people there would just... It was just a normal everyday... We'd see the mountains of Colorado driving up to Wyoming to go across. And we were like, wow, look at that, how beautiful it is. Jerry just kept on driving. He was looking for (laughs) Texaco's. I don't know if he still looks for Texaco's. It's been a while. I don't think he does. Then we get up to Washington and we'd see the, the West Coast out there in Seattle. And we went through there. And it was, oh man, it's just awe-inspiring. And then we went down to Oregon. and And you know, flat Oregon was okay. But then we went down into Grants Pass and it was, wow, amazing. We saw Crater Lake and that was... Just fan, I couldn't believe what I was looking at. And then we hit the redwoods. And everything else was nothing compared to the redwoods. It was beautiful. Trees. You know, the first time I saw it, Danny Logan was with us. He laughed at me and Mike taking pictures. We had a blast. But that second time with my wife and sons, like I saw it the first time, and it was gorgeous. You know, today I go through and I see the redwoods and they're beautiful. But they're not the same as that first time with my wife and my son. I'd become familiar with them. You see, every year we go to the redwoods. And I encourage people to go to the redwoods. Because they need to see those trees. They need to see the beauty that God has. But you know, to me it was just kind of, it's it's beautiful, but it's not the same. I've become familiar with it. You know, a lot of people are like that. You ever go visit somebody and you say, man, this beautiful, road. how can you not see these mountains? They say, well, they're just mountains. I see them every day, it's no big deal. And you become familiar with them. And you don't see them the same way or with the same look that you had before. you ever noticed that when when you see people new to the church and they become a church member and they they've been baptized, their sins are forgiven, they're fresh and they're brand new, and they are excited and the whole world is different and everything looks wonderful. And you see them over time. It becomes familiar. And if we're not careful the familiarity will breed not a contempt but a complacency in who we are and what we do for our God. We come to church every Sunday morning and, you know, as a a new Christian, that coming to church meant something. (coughs) But it doesn't mean the same thing when I'm older. Maybe because I become familiar with it and indifferent to its effects on me. You know, some people come to church because it's what their family does. It's how we grew up. And that's how I was for a long time. But then I see that when I was that way that my son would watch me as I came to church and notice my attitudes. And one day he said, well, Dad, it's just church. And I went, wow. Wow. It's just church. You know what Ephesians says about church? He said that Jesus loved it so much that He gave His life for it. How many times have I read that verse, and it never really hit me that this opportunity to come together as children of God, together and worship Him, was because my Lord and Savior died for it. For this opportunity right now of you and I being here worshiping God together. And I had taken that for granted. How many of us are taking things for granted? Are neglecting our spiritual life with our God? You know, there's dangers to this kind of thing. We may become indifferent to our salvation. Israel's history proves over and over again that the more they became comfortable, the more they became successful, the more that God rewarded them, the less they came to God and the less they began to regard Him and the more they became self-absorbed in their own lives. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 it says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. Don't you know that it's talking about being indifferent? That we have to make it a, a real effort in our life that God means more to us than that book we carry around. More to us than just something we do on a Sunday morning more to us than our job or our friends or our family because that's what he's asked of us. we need to think about it more than maybe we have in the past especially today in first Corinthians chapter 10 it tells us there it gives us a warning it says therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall we need to be careful. God says, even that which you think you have will be taken away from you and given to him who does not have. What does that mean? It means that just because you think you've got something doesn't mean you're still holding on to it. It means it can be ripped away from you at any time and you find yourself outside of wondering what happened. You know, that's what Luke, the 15th chapter, was all about. I read that chapter. My dad gave lessons on it, and I've given the same kind of lessons on it. But you know really what it's talking about? It's either willingly or unknowingly losing your relationship with your God. And waking up one day and finding out you have nothing left. You don't even know when it happened. You don't even know when it was that you turned away from that which you held so dear. That your principles have changed or your understanding of it changed. And we blame God often for it. I had a young lady ask me one time, says, how come you're not angry? I said, why should I be angry? She said, God took your son away. Why aren't you angry? And I said, sweetie, why never thought made you think that God took my son away? She didn't understand. She said, well, I just don't get it. And I said, it's not about God taking away so much as about me letting God have. It's not about me being angry with God, but maybe it's about me becoming complacent in my relationship to Him. And so therefore I had to remember that God loves me as much as He loved my son and He loves you as much as He loves your children. And that all the calamity in the world should never move us away from our God, but yet draw us stronger. And you know what happens? I see more people moving away from God in their calamity than closer to Him. And Satan has made it real easy. We blame God. Instead of blaming Him. Instead of blaming ourselves. Or instead of understanding that that's the way life is. So we need to be careful and take heed lest we fall. We may neglect our opportunities for service to Him. When we become complacent and indifferent, we find that we get caught up in everything else and we forget maybe an overlook the opportunities that God has given us to reach and touch somebody else. Oh, wait a minute, Sean. I don't do that. I, I'm not good at talking to people about that. You know, it's not about going and doing cold knocking on a door because that's, that's not even my favorite thing, to be honest with you. I tried selling pots and pans. I never sold one set. I sold one set of knives. Two years. Not much of a job. Not much career-minded there. Not very good at selling things, apparently, or not very committed to it. But the idea is that when we are spiritually looking to our God, that we study His words so that we don't have to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, that we become enmeshed with our God. Then we wake up and we see opportunities that we can talk to others about our relationship with our God. When they say, You're different. What is it with you? And you say, You know... Let me tell you what's different. I used to be like you. But then something changed. And that's an opportunity to begin to share your faith with someone else. But if we're indifferent, we will miss that. It will never come. We won't even recognize when that happens. You know, in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21, it talks about this, this rich man who was putting up in his barn and saving things away and then called him away. And never got to use those things which he had. And then he says, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He had nothing. We need to be careful that we don't lay up treasures just for ourselves, but we work it for God. That happens when we're not indifferent that we begin laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven with our God because we're no longer complacent about who we are in Jesus Christ and who He is to us and who our God is that we serve. Because you see, we serve the God of heaven, the one true and only God. And it is to Him that we look and we long to... Do you long to be with Him? We say we do, but do we? Really? Sometimes there's this problem of forgetting, even though we know, but forgetting to do what we should, what is right and what is good. James 4.17, it says, "...to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin." Why would we not do what is good and what is right? We know what's right. We know what's good. But we don't do it. We miss those opportunities for service to our God. Someone says, well, it's because we've become selfish. And you know, that's part of being indifferent. We don't even look outside of our own circle to see the needs of others. There is a danger of temptation. Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. You know, I read that. We talked about Joshua this this well just yesterday, <laughs> and we were talking about how Joshua and how ISIS today. We're a lot alike. The children of Israel then and ISIS today, you saying what? The children of Israel were required to go in and strip the land of all the foreign gods, all of the other worship, all of the idols, all of the groves of trees, all of the people, man, women, children, and animals off the face of the land. Now what if your God told us today that that's what we were supposed to do? What if we didn't have Jesus and that's what we were supposed to do? In our culture today, we call that terrorism, intolerable, wrong. But you know, the truth is, God still calls for that today. He doesn't tell you to go out and kill everybody. He says, kill everything that's in your life that is not worthy of Him. One of them yesterday said, you know, we're like a bunch of people who know what we're supposed to give, but we want to give everything except for this little piece here. We want to hold that back. That's mine. He can't have that. No, he can't have that part over here. That's mine. He can't have that one either. That's, that's for me. And when it comes down, we give this little piece to God because all the rest of it we really want to keep. That's ours. We're not ready to give that up yet. God says we're supposed to give it all to Him. That's what the cost of commitment was all about, isn't it? That we were to give it all to Him. Not just the parts that we wanted Him to have, but He wants everything in our heart for Him. We're to raise it to the ground and raise up what He wants us to be. And we can't do that if we've kept ourselves before Him. He hasn't changed instead of physically getting rid of everybody he says get rid of everything that comes between you and me you see he does that in first peter chapter 5 verse 8 there it says your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour you know what we have done in this society is we've downplayed the spiritual warfare and looked for the spirituality of our lives They're looking for the good feelings and the wonderful fullness that they have, the ecstatic tongues that they want to experience. And they forget that there is an adversary who wants to devour them. Maybe you've forgotten that there is an adversary that wants to devour you. What does that mean? He wants to take you over. He wants to pull you away. Just enough to keep you complacent and indifferent to your God. And our lives are supposed to be different than that. We're supposed to overcome that. We're supposed to have God so much in our lives that the roaring lion is nothing but a meowing cat. And yet many of us are being devoured and don't even know it. You cannot resist temptation. If you are indifferent to the spiritual warfare going on for your soul and for the souls of those around you. So what do we do? Very good, Sean. You've told me that there is something wrong. There's something I need to be aware of, something I need to do. But what is it that I need to do? In James chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, it says, Therefore submit to God... Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy be turned to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Does he say that you can't be happy? No. He says, in light of what you know about what is happening around you and to you and in you... You need to stop. You need to draw near to your God. You need to start putting Him in the right place in your life and put your life in perspective to the great, righteous, holy God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and His sacrifice and my meaningless life without Him. But in Him, it says, when you humble yourselves, He will gladly lift you up. See, it's putting our trust back in God. It's putting ourselves back in His possession. We're putting ourselves in His spiritual care. You see, we're in a war for our souls. And indifference can cost us our own soul. In James chapter 5 verse 20 it says, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way shall save the sinner From death and cover a multitude of sins. Save a sinner from death and cover a multitude of sins. You see, we need to cry out in warning to others, to ourselves, to each other. What do you think this worship is for? One of them is so that we can worship our God, but the other is to build each other up. Hebrews talks about that in Hebrews the 10th chapter. So much more as you see the day approaching. So much more what? That you come together. So that we can build each other up and sound a warning to each other that Satan is wanting your soul. His goal is to destroy our faith and our God and our effectiveness in that faith for Him. If the church is indifferent to the needs of men or can complacent about her mission to spread the word of God then we are of all men most miserable. In Matthew 28, beginning verse 18, Jesus gave us a command of what we need to be doing. He said, He spoke to them saying, All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. You see how that works? He's given us direction. He's given us a plea. And He's given us an idea of what we need to be doing. And an understanding that we're not alone. You know, for some reason we go throughout our lives and we think we're doing this all alone. And we're not. Jesus has never left us alone. Jesus has given us an earnest of His Spirit dwelling within us. We can debate if that's literal or not. I think it's literal. Not to make us God, but to give us the ability to understand and emulate the God characteristics that we need to cultivate in our lives that He's given us a measure of Himself within us, that we're to grow and to make whole within us. We're to go out and teach others about being a disciple or a follower and teacher of Jesus Christ. We're to baptize them in the name of the Father and Son the Holy Spirit so that they too can receive forgiveness of sins and start their journey. But they're going to look to us for assistance in that walk. You know, the sad thing is, is... We read in Scripture where it says you should be teachers and yet you need to be taught again. The first rudiments there in Hebrews. We should be teaching others. And we should be leading others. And we should be showing others the cause of Christ and the greatness of the God that we serve. And many times we're still trying to figure out who God is in our lives. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, according to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. And I think that we run the risk of being complacent enough that that's where we end up being. A grief to the Holy Spirit. You know, of all things, that's the one thing we don't want to be. That's why in First John when it says, if you confess your sins, He's just and willing to forgive us of our sins. You know, that's the truth. The Spirit of God dwells within us and we take it like just a regular pair of socks. And the only time the socks bother us is when we get a hole over the big toe in it. or toenail sticks out and rubs our shoe and we become angered with it. We finally either fix it or throw it away. Today's society, we throw it away. Just threw away a pair yesterday. <laughs> until then, you don't notice the sock. And until then, we don't notice the Spirit. Don't wait till some calamity takes you or someone in your family and then you say, Now I'll listen. How about today you listen so that in that day you won't have to be wondering what to do or how you're going to handle it? Or where are going to go from here? Or why did you do that? How come you hate me? And where is the God? And how can I worship that kind of God? That's the kinds of questions that come when we don't cultivate our relationship with Him today. Indifference can destroy a church. A church cannot exist without those committed to work in it. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 33 boils down to this. It says, Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. You're here this morning. I hope you came to worship your God. I hope you came to spend some time with those around you of like faith, to build each other up. But I hope when you leave here that you don't go home and forget about everything until the next Sunday when you may or may not decide to get up and come to church. But that you come not because it's your habit, but that you come because you want to worship your God. That you've come to be built up in your faith and to build up others in their faith also that you've come to give of yourself and of your time and maybe even of your financial wealth to the God who so generously gives to you. Indifference is the chief cause of churches closing in the United States and the world around us. We're not under attack maybe because we have let Satan have his way in most of our lives. Be careful lest you drift away, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 said. I want to do a reading, if you will, in Joel the second chapter. If you have your Bibles, I want you to look at what he writes here, beginning in verse 1. It says, Blow you the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thickness, darkness as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong, there hath not ever been the like, neither shall be any more after it, even in the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth, The land is in the garden of Eden before them and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses and as horsemen so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they heat leap like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble as a strong people set in battle array. (coughs) Before their face... The peoples shall be bunched, shall be much pain. All faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. They shall march every one on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk every one in his path. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city, and shall run upon the wall. They shall climb upon up upon the houses they shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter His voice before His army, for His camp is very great. For He is strong that ex- executeth His word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent, and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble elders. Gather the children and those that suck the breasts. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathens should should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? Then will I, the Lord, be jealous for this land, and pity His people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto His people, Behold, I will send you and and wine and oil, corn and wine and oil, and you shall be steadfast therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. But I will remove far off from you the northern army, and will drive him into the land barren and desolate, with his face toward the east sea, and his hand apart toward the utmost sea. And his stink shall come up, up, and all his savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He hath given you the former rain moderately, and He will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the fat fat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore you to the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the pale worm, Palmer worm, my great army which I send among you, and you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. You say, boy, that was a long reading. Did you catch the gist of that? Did you understand what he's saying? The warfare is going to come to an end. And there's going to come a time when God will send forth those who are going to reap for Him. And he says the people of God that turn to God will have rejoicing in that day. And those that do not, well, there's going to be weeping The Jews called it weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that was severe despair and sorrow. And there's nothing that they could do about it. In your final days, you're going to be called home one day or the other, one way or the other. I pray we're alive when Jesus returns, but most of us won't be. Are we going to be prepared? Are we going to be ready to greet our Lord? Will we be rejoicing in that day or will we be in fear of what God is going to do? You can't have it both ways. Now the Bible says that He would rather you be hot or that you were cold. I always took hot as being excited and in full of zeal for our God. And cold as being totally against Him. And I thought, God wants me to be totally against Him? He said, no, I would you were either hot or you were cold. But He says, those of you who ride the fence are lukewarm. He says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. You make me so sick. We do not want to be lukewarm Christians. We do not want to be what Joel called of those who had turned away from our God. But I want you to make a commitment this morning that God is more to you than an idea, more than a theological discussion, but something that is real, something that is tangible in your life, something that you can look at this word and say, I am more than myself because I have my God. And through Jesus Christ, I will overcome. The lesson is yours this morning. If you're not a child of God, you need to be. Do you believe He's the Son of God? Are you able to confess Him before others? To be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? You can wise, rise to walk a new life. To become what God has intended you to be. Not what you've tried to be. And it can be done only in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've turned away. Maybe you've found a different way. And you've found that it's hollow and meaningless. You see the day approaching of your God. And His return. Where will you stand and how will you be? Are you ready? If we can be of help to you this morning in any way, please come and take a seat on the bench in the front and we'll be more than happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.